It was the summer of 2013, and I was still dealing with some residual heartbreak from a relationship that had ended the year before. My commute to and from work was a mind-numbing two hours each way on public transit. This particular day in June, I was fortunate enough to have access to a car and was driving home from the subway station, approaching my old neighborhood in Mississauga, Ontario. I was listening to the radio, which is actually something I didn't do a whole lot of in those days. And then this song came on. It started with this dramatic swell into these twangy guitar lines, doing a sort of call and response, giving off the vibe of an old western duel. And then this voice came in. I mean, this voice. I never meant to get us in this day. I never meant for this to mean a thing well, I wish you were the one Wish you were the one that got away I, got caught I wish you were the one that got away Tell me that lyric isn't going to catch your attention if you're hurting from a breakup the song marched on and these two voices came together in some of the most brilliantly beautiful vocal harmony I had ever heard. As someone who has made multiple failed attempts at getting better at vocal harmonies, I could truly appreciate just how talented these folks were after hearing them just sing a few lines. And the guitar. It was grimy and scratchy, but somehow simultaneously sweet. Who were these people? I waited as eagerly as I ever had for that moment after the song where you're just praying to any god who will listen that the DJ will say the name of the song or artist that you just heard so you can somehow commit it to memory. The song faded, and the DJ spoke up. That was The Civil Wars from their new self-titled album, perhaps alluding to the fact that there's still some lingering tension between the duo. Wait, there's tension? What, what, what do you mean there's tension? Oh no. I ran to my laptop as soon as I got home and combed through articles about the band. I was met with tales of grueling tour schedules, long, exhausting stints on the road, and consistent disconnect from their families. Pardon the very obvious and probably done-to-death pun, but I learned that things were not so civil for the Civil Wars. And that stung. My new favorite band, as of a few minutes ago at the time, had just become my new favorite band who I may never get to see perform live. And just over a year after the release of their single, the one that got away, the band announced that they were, well, going away for good. This is the rise and fall of the Civil Wars. Hello everybody and welcome back to Amuse. This is episode 5. As you can tell, I'm sticking with the whole scripted format and today we are talking about the Civil Wars. But let's take a quick step back here and take note of the fact that I titled this episode The Rise and Fall of the Civil Wars. Here's the thing. That little story I just told was indeed my introduction to the band. Meaning, 
I came in right after the beginning of the whole falling part. If anything, this podcast is going to exist as an excuse for me to learn more about the rise of the duo. And to do that, we'll have to first explore a little bit about each of them. We'll start with John Paul White. He was born in the tiny little town of Loretto, Tennessee, among a pretty dominantly German Catholic community. His father, not much a fan of the urban country of the late 70s, opted to forego listening to the radio altogether and instead favored the more traditional country of the years prior, putting on records by Merle Haggard and Johnny Cash. All the while, his mother would be dialing in big band music and listening to the crooners of the day. By the time John Paul was in high school and among some like-minded musician friends, something new started to take hold. Something heavier. Bands like Black Sabbath and ACDC were on rotation by this time. In fact, it was just around then that John Paul and his friends entered into a talent show with the intention of lip-syncing ACDC's Back in Black with John Paul on the bass, having never had played bass in his life. But as it turns out, their so-called singer didn't actually know the words to the song. So, John Paul, being familiar with the tune himself, was pushed to the front. Now, since the guitar player and the drummer in this little lip-sync act had the unique distinction of actually knowing how to play their instruments, they started noodling through the song, and John Paul followed suit, singing along as best he could, only for his bandmates to all stop dead and stare at him. Hang on. You can sing. Well, apparently this was news to John Paul White. He honed his newfound skills over the next few years in cover bands, and was perfectly happy singing whatever songs would garner him the right kind of attention. That could have been anything from ACDC to the Eagles, Alan Jackson, Al Green. He could do it all. By the time he picked up a guitar and started writing his own songs, he was in his late 20s and well into college. It was there that he met Walt Aldridge, a seasoned Nashville songwriter who at the time took John Paul under his wing. With Walt's mentorship, John Paul developed his songwriting skills into a career writing songs for other artists, and he eventually released his first solo album, The Long Goodbye. That was an independent release in 2008. Here's a track from that record called Losing Me. Incidentally, the same year that The Long Goodbye was released, John Paul's publisher wanted to send him to a writing camp. He was reluctant to go, but it's a good thing that he did, because it was there that he met Joy Williams, who would become his writing partner and bandmate for the next six years of his musical career. And with that, let's talk a little bit about how Joy ended up at that same writing camp. Joy was born in West Branch, Michigan, but grew up in a very conservative household in Santa Cruz, California. Her father was a pastor, so the music that she was listening to was a little bit regulated based on those beliefs. Outside of singing in church and hearing other faith-based music, 
Joy was never really exposed to the rock and pop music of the day. It wasn't until meeting with her high school drama teacher that she came across a disc loaded with the likes of Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, and Led Zeppelin. Her teacher, shocked that none of these names were familiar to her, handed the disc over to Joy, which opened her up to a whole new world of possibilities when it comes to music. That exploration continued when she got her first car and learned the wonders of driving along and dialing in new music on the radio. But, despite this world of possibilities, Joy stepped into the music industry at 17, with her parents' permission, as a Christian contemporary artist. She recorded three albums with the Tennessee-based Christian record label Reunion Records, and was even nominated for a few awards, but her worldview was shifting. She had gone as far as she felt she could go within that particular niche, and actually asked to get out of her record deal in 2005. She spent the next year or so bouncing around between different jobs. She worked at a boutique in Nashville, sold ads for some music publications, never really managing to stray too far from a career in music. Well, that worked to her favor, as it wasn't too long before some of the friends that she had met along the way that were still making music enlisted Joy to start writing songs for them. By 2006, she had signed a publishing deal with Warner Chapel and was writing her own original compositions. In 2008, she wrote, It Doesn't Get Better Than This, which ended up being the tagline and jingle for a big Oscar Mayer ad campaign. Yes, Oscar Mayer, the baloney and wiener people. Another collection of Joy's original songs went on to appear on the TV show Grey's Anatomy. Those originals, by the way, were released by Sensibility Music, an artist development firm that she co-founded with her new husband, Nate Yetten, earlier that year. Here's one of them. Just sit tight, don't you even think about going anywhere. Stay where you are, open up your eyes to what's already there. What I'm about to tell you, what I'm about to say. That's Charmed Life by Joy Williams, one of the earlier songs of hers that was featured on Grey's Anatomy, and uh, that one actually went on to also be featured on Pretty Little Liars. Those were all released on Sensibility Music, which incidentally is also where those early Civil Wars records lived. But that all started happening shortly after Joy's publisher sent her to, you guessed it, a writing camp, where of course she met John Paul White. Joy described the experience as meeting someone she had already known for a really long time. The two became instantly aware of their connection. They similarly described feeling a certain click the moment they began singing together in that session, and after that it was off to the races. When they realized what they had, they jumped on the opportunity to collaborate again. They scheduled another writing session and wrote a song called Falling, which later ended up on their first big release, Barton Hollow. They continued writing together over the next few months, finding more and more common ground and figuring out where their abilities meshed, both vocally and as songwriters. 
Before long, they had found the delicate fusion of country and pop sensibilities that they became known for, and John Paul finally asked Joy that golden question, do you want to form a band? And the Civil Wars was born. As for the name, well, Joy came up with that. It's not so much to do with the historical context, but rather that she was inspired by a quote from philosopher Plato. Be kind, for everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. Thinking about those words and the push and pull of the music that they were making, the Civil Wars seemed like a pretty fitting name. Kind of ironic when you consider their eventual breakup. By April of 2009, the band had their very first gig at the now-defunct French Quarter Café in Nashville. Joy's former producer Charlie Peacock was in attendance that night, and was blown away by what he heard. He started recording with them the very next day. Their second gig was at the famous Eddie's Attic in Atlanta, and John Paul decided it would be a good idea to post it online, free of charge. That was in June of 2009, and that garnered the band some attention, and that live recording went on to be an official live release for them. So, here we are, two gigs in, and the band has already got a producer and a live album. Not too shabby. And it doesn't stop there. One of the other originals from that Eddie's Attic recording was a song called Poison and Wine, which served as the music bed of a pivotal scene during a November 2009 episode of Grey's Anatomy. Yes, again. This show has been paying dividends for these two. Joy and John Paul found out the song was going to be on the show just days before the episode aired. They rushed to record a music video, which, as the story goes, finished uploading to the web just moments before the song faded during the live telecast of their episode. Talk about timing. People scrambling to the web, clamoring to know more about the band, were greeted by a new video for the song that they just heard. Your mouth is poison, your mouth is wine. You think your dreams are the same as Poison and Wine was a hit, debuting at number four on the iTunes singer-songwriter charts. The hits on the music video and the Eddie's Attic performance were climbing rapidly too, and in case that wasn't enough, the band's visibility was bolstered by a Twitter shout-out from megastar Taylor Swift, who they would later go on to collaborate with. With all of this forward momentum, the Civil Wars did what any band in their position ought to do, go on tour. On February 1st, 2011, they released their first major studio album, Barton Hollow, to much critical acclaim. The digital album burned through the Billboard charts and was the number one most downloaded album on iTunes the week of its release. A Tonight Show appearance, and even more praise from fellow musicians, propelled them and the new record forward, culminating with another big North American tour. They spent a couple of months on that tour opening for Adele who called the duo the best live band she had ever seen. How's that for high praise? The end of the year saw the Civil Wars release another four-track EP, as well as the previously mentioned collaboration with Taylor Swift. 
The end result of that meeting was a song called Safe and Sound, recorded for the Hunger Games soundtrack and released at the end of 2011. That one also went on to win a Grammy. And yes, speaking of Grammys, the following year started out with a bang for the duo. They began the year on tour and managed to snag two Grammys for Barton Hollow, Best Folk Album and Best Country Duo Group Performance. The album was released internationally and was certified gold in the U.S., just as they joined forces again with Charlie Peacock to work on a follow-up record, and this was all while they were touring in Europe. It was in the middle of that tour when tensions began to rise. It could have been the band's very rapid rise to acclaim, or the pressures of non-stop touring and writing, or some combination of all of those things that led to them suddenly cancelling the rest of their European dates. They made a statement apologizing to their fans. They threw out the blanket terms that we're all used to hearing when our favorite bands begin to dissolve. Internal discord, difference of ambition. Charlie Peacock noticed the tension right off the bat as soon as they began recording that follow-up. He cited fatigue and increasingly evident differences in personality and working styles, all as possible reasons for this tension between Joy and John Paul. He also ended up saddled with the difficult task of harnessing that tension and helping them translate it into what would become the band's eponymous and very aptly titled follow-up, The Civil Wars. That album, released in August of 2013, during what the band had named an indefinite hiatus. The duo hadn't spoken since they finished recording the record. John Paul went back to Alabama to be with his family, and Joy ended up doing a lot of the press for the album, while of course fielding questions about the band's future. Here's what she had to say to the Rolling Stone. I really do feel like we brought out the best in each other musically, but you only make music X amount of hours in the day, and then you're spending a lot of life together. And over time, creative tension can breed personal tension, and then personal tension can breed creative tension. In my opinion, that's sort of how we found ourselves in this conundrum. Joy went on to say that it was that creative tension that made the new record as visceral and emotional as it ended up being. She added that she and John Paul were more easily able to communicate to one another what they were feeling when the record button was pressed hell of a way to make a record. Once again, the new album saw critical acclaim and accolades, entering the Billboard 200 at number one when it was released. They also managed to grab a fourth Grammy, their second for Best Country Duo Group Performance, for this song. Oh, will you take me from this valley to that mountain In early August of 2014, the Civil Wars announced that they would be permanently parting ways. They each issued individual statements on their website. Here's what Joy had to say. 
I am saddened and disappointed by the ending of this duo, to say the very least. JP is a tremendous musician, and I will always be grateful for the music we were able to create together. John Paul summed up his time as part of the duo with this statement. I would like to express sincere thanks to all who were a part of the arc of the Civil Wars, from the beginning to the end, and all points in between. Aside from a few collaborations with the likes of Emmy Lou Harris, John Paul took his time getting back into music, taking the next couple of years to spend time with his family in Alabama. His first solo album, since parting ways with Joy Williams, was called Beulah, and was released in August of 2016. John Paul went on to release another album just last year in 2019. That one was called The Hurting Kind. Both of those albums were released on Single Lock Records, a label he co-founded along with Will Trapp and Alabama Shakes touring keyboardist Ben Tanner. Joy has also put out two solo albums since the Civil War's breakup, starting with Venus in 2014, her first solo effort outside of the Christian contemporary genre. She went on to release an acoustic version of that record the following year, and her latest solo album, Front Porch, came out in May of last year, and was nominated for a Grammy for Best Folk Album. And there you have it. Two fledgling solo artists meet, discover they have an electric connection, enjoy a meteoric rise to prominence, and then slowly succumb to the pressure that comes with it. It's a real shame we didn't get any more music from the Civil Wars, but if you're like me and clamoring for more, there's a whole heap of other EPs, one-offs, and cover collections that I didn't even mention, so go listen to those if you like what you heard. These guys were truly lightning in a bottle. I'm just glad I got the chance to see it strike. Thank you guys so much for listening to that. That was episode five uh, of my podcast, Amuse. Um, and I hope you guys learned a little bit about the Civil Wars, what a great band they were. Uh, you guys should definitely go back and, and check them out and check out their solo stuff because they're really fantastic musicians. And uh, it was really fun kind of doing a deep dive and, and learning a whole lot about them. I hope that you uh, enjoyed coming along for the ride, and uh, I'll see you guys in the next episode. Um, like I said, I'm going to try to be more frequent with these, and I've got some ideas for the next ones coming up. So... Hopefully it all goes well. Thanks again so much for listening again. And uh, yeah, I'll chat with you guys soon. Bye. Thanks.